Hey, Sound and Vision podcast listeners. I'm your host, Rachel Stevens. KXP's fall fundraising drive is officially starting, and I want to take a quick minute to ask you to give to Sound and Vision. When you go to kxp.org sound and give, it shows us that you love and support the Sound and Vision community specifically. Our team brings you these stories and interviews and roundtable discussions because we think they're important, and we also think they're really fun. But we can only do that with support from you. You right there, about to listen to this amazing podcast about Nirvana. You are the reason that we can do this. Please give right now. Give to show us that you love this community and you love these stories so that we can keep making radio like this for KEXP. Again, go to kxp.org sound to give. And thank you. And also, you are very beautiful and very funny. Has anyone ever told you that? For today's episode, Larry Mysell Jr. sat down with Riz Rollins and Marco Collins to talk about how they were at ground zero when Nirvana blew up on the scene. They were both DJs in Seattle in the early 90s and have some bonkers stories to tell about those times. Riz started off the conversation by recalling his first memories of Nirvana. Bleach was in heavy rotation. Uh, and that was my introduction to them at KCMU. Um, and I had also worked for Sub Pop uh, in the Bleach days, or the post-Bleach days, and um, actually quit Sub Pop due to, um, uh, I didn't get paid out of check box. Well, that would do it. And, yeah. That's sub pop money. I keep missing this. I miss all the sub pop money. Now all that's fascinating. Literally months after they're bouncing checks, uh, their, their, their big band, of course, is on, on a major at that point. Um, yeah. But they had a big payout uh, at that yes. point, I'm sure. Marco, and everybody yeah. made money. Right. I mean, everybody that was there working at the time, you know. Got that record, that record almost came out on Sub Pop, right? Did you hear the original version of that album, Riz? We heard nothing about it. We knew that it was being recorded, but it was particularly the deal with 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 Geffen was really, really hush hush uh, until I practically had the CD in my hand. Wow! And so it's like, oh, well, that must mean something, but of course, nothing to me. At that point. <laughs> so, so wait, they, that album almost came out on Sub Pop, Marco. I never heard that. Yeah, that album almost came out on Sub Pop. And from what I understand, it was kind of a last minute thing. But there were demos of the Sub Pop version that were going around for a while mm. that weren't as polished as the major label record. Management decided that they wanted to do something bigger with it. I think even Kurt had decided he wanted to do something bigger, that he felt like Sub Pop had done all they could for the band at that point. So um, he wanted to kind of take it somewhere else, which, you know, how do you not know that those songs are going to be, you know, a big deal? You, I don't think anybody knew how big of a deal, but those were pop songs. 
think anybody really knew how big Nevermind was going to get. Like, no one. <laughs> mm. Did you know, Riz, when you heard Smells Like Teen Spirit, did you feel like, oh, man? So my story is, um, Poneman and Habit came into KCMU with a band, and we were debuting it. And so all six of us was in that Matchbox studio. Um <laughs> And we didn't, we hadn't had, um, we weren't allowed to preview it. We didn't even have it for preview. Um, and so they handed me the CD and I asked, well, which song, which track am I supposed to play? I mean, we got no promo on it whatsoever. And um, I think it was Kurt said, play the first one. And I played Team Spirit. And you say it was such a huge sound. I remember standing there thinking, this isn't what I was expecting at all. And when the song was over, I turned to the band and I said, that was really good. <laughs> and Kurt was kind of looking at toward the floor even. And I said, no, you understand. You understand. I mean, really good. This is really, really good. I asked them, and this was uncharacteristic for me. I asked them to sign the CD cover. And they did. I, It's over there in that pile or whatever now, but I still have the CD. Habit called and asked me if I would would like to open their CD release party at Reebok. It's on a Friday night. And I said, well, sure. Uh, and one of the things I was expecting was actually to hear the band play, because I never saw them play. I still, I didn't go to that many shows, and I don't go to that many shows now. But I thought, well, this will be my chance to finally, you know, put two and two together. And, uh, of course, they didn't play. Uh, instead, they had a food fight. <laughs> yeah. Kurt, Kurt got kicked out of his own party, right, Riz? By, by Steve Wells, the owner of Rebar. There was a carved out, what I remember is a carved out watermelon filled for some inexplicable reason with ranch dressing. <laughs> and so they got to flinging this dressing at each other before somebody picked up the entire pumpkin, excuse me, that pumpkin <laughs> watermelon. And there was ranch everywhere. And Steve said, that's it, over, party's over. And he grabbed Kurt by the scruff of the neck because I think that was the one he recognized. And as they say in legal parlance, escorted him out, <laughs> out of the club. And then everything else, you know, from there was in motion. Wow. I never did get to see them, by the way. Uh, never did. You got never. to see wow. them cut up. 
Mm. Yeah, but Riz, I would almost say that it's kind of it's kind of cool that you quote unquote opened for for the Nirvana Nevermind release party. People people <laughs> never never forget about the time they opened for Nirvana. You know what I mean? Yeah, bro, never, <laughs> never. Um, and I well and and I don't forget. I mean, I think on the on the on on the strength of hearing Team Spirit. For the first time, that's what made all the rest of it memorable to me, because it wasn't like any other thing that I had had premiered before. It wasn't like any other band. And I was literally blown away with the band in in, yeah. in that tiny booth. And I think I asked him to sign it just in case. I think I thought it in the back of my mind, I want to be able to show this to somebody to prove to them that, that you know, we were there. Yeah. Marco, you yeah, were KNDD. I'm always amazed that there was definitely a feeling when we played that song. And I remember the energy of playing that song because it just felt like it felt like the anarchy of Bleach with the sort of big polished sound that made it just jump out of your radio. Like I remember playing it numerous times as soon as I got it, because I was like, Holy crap, let's hear that again. And this is big. And we only got, we didn't get the whole album at that time. I think we were just brought one of those little CD pros. Mm. Uh, smells like teen spirit. And, um, then when I heard the rest of the album, I was like, wow, this is great. But still, I just thought it was a great indie record, you know, even though it wasn't actually indie, a good sounding indie artist sort of gone, gone bigger. Um, but nobody, even at that point, the energy that I felt on the airwaves and people, you know, called, that's when you called radio stations. People were calling nonstop, like, play it again, play it again. So I think that night I might have played it four or five times just because the energy was there and it felt right. I mean, the first two records that were handed to me when I got in were that song and Pearl Jam's record. Like, it was kind of a big deal for me to walk into a city. You guys, I always thought Mudhoney was going to be the band that broke. Mm. I really did. When I moved to Seattle, I thought, oh, man, I can't wait to play Touch Me, I'm Sick on the commercial airwaves. Um, and I remember seeing Bud Honey in San Diego and, and fearing for my life. The pit was so insane that I thought it was going to be Mud Honey that broke. Touch me, I'm sick. 
I got up here, I was pleasantly surprised that a band like Nirvana had stepped up their game so severely on this record. Well, you know, what's interesting for me about it was that all of those artists um, I met pretty much before Sub Pop at Orpheum Records. Yeah. They would come in. And I don't know why my mind is just going to suddenly go blank, but you know, Mother Love Bone used to shop there, and 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 Stone Gossip used to shop there. Um, and at the time, I think Megan Jasper of Sub Pop Kid, you know, we were all just we were all just family. We were just like you know, you know, my friends got a new record out. My friends got a new record out. You might want to go to to see it a show at you know, a, a small club. I don't think any of them actually, well, no, Mudhoney, I think, played Rebar. Uh, but Rebar was known for doing everything. Uh, but we were all mom and pop. And they were a mom and pop band until Teen Spirit. And yeah. then everybody was like, everybody had stories. So I'm curious, you both being there here at this incredibly pivotal moment, what was your sense of like the change before and after in terms of how people thought about music or the industry locally, how they thought about the band? You know, what was what was your take? Kurt and Courtney used to shop at Orpheum Records. And there were at that time a lot of bootlegs of Nirvana and Courtney. Basically grabbed all the, the promos and all the bootlegs and said, these are ours. You can't sell them anymore. And, and, and walked Bruce, out the store with them, right? Absolutely walked out the store <laughs> with everything that had Nirvana on it except Geffen Subpot. It was all, all gone. And Bruce, uh, the owner, came out and tried to talk to her. And he said, look, we're mom and pop. We, we are not making millions of dollars off any of this. And she said, I appreciate that, but this is the property of, of the band and us. And so we got it. And there was nothing you could do about it. We had no recourse. We were pretty de- dejected at that point, but still hadn't connected to how massive um, the reach of Nirvana was. And I don't think anybody had ever come into the, the record store and grabbed their, <laughs> their stuff. <laughs> I remember yeah. that story too, Riz. I yeah. remember. Uh, Riz, I think that's where I met you. Uh, at Orpheum. At Orpheum? Yeah. When I came into town, I was the uh, California guy who stepped into a scene. There was a lot of judgment at that moment, and you guys never, ever judged me and saved me records and tried to help get good stuff on the radio and... That's Marco, we're on the, and now we're on the same team. Yeah, now we're now. Well, I we've been on the same team for a while, but <laughs> now we're in the same place. Now, generally speaking, I mean, but to me, if you'd have told me, because I remember, I don't remember when I met you, Marco, but I remember coming up to the end and sitting in on the session with you, and it was surreal. Because the end, you know, had that national reach and a national influence. And I'm still hometown, 
like, wow, look at this. This is a real radio station. It doesn't look like KCMU at all. Uh, yeah. And to, if you'd have told me then that we would be, the KEXP would, would be where it is and then we would be together where it is doing what well, I've, I'd have probably slapped shit out of you. Get away from that It just, I, I just remember like, you know, it was a very small town vibe when I got here and I loved it that way. And we didn't have the internet, so we weren't, we weren't privy to everything that was going on outside of Seattle, except for MTV News, Enemy uh, Magazine, Melody Maker Magazine, and if something drastic happened, like when, you know, Kurt uh, OD'd in Rome. Um, but it was weird, man, because we would find out certain things. I found out, you know, information from Kurt's mom, from Kurt's sister. Um, but it just felt like this is getting massive outside of here. But the only way I can really gauge it is from magazines. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being here in, in the town, you would just see everyday grunge superstars at the supermarket. Like it wasn't, it didn't feel big city. It didn't feel big time. I remember thinking this is kind of surreal that all of this is happening because it still just feels like our, our little town. You know what I mean? It feels like hometown vibe. I'm so happy Cause today found my friends in my head. It wasn't until maybe quite a few years later, I went to, I did a gig in Sofia, Bulgaria, and saw grunge graffiti everywhere in Bulgaria. And that's when I think it, it, it dawned on me that it had, you know, the lasting international influence that it, that it still has. Yeah. I had that feeling too. I went to, in 93, I went to France with a girlfriend who lived there in Amsterdam. And uh, I connected with Hull in Amsterdam. I still have those photos. Uh, And that ended up being like a crazy lost weekend. But after Amsterdam, we went to Paris and outside of the city and we went to this little place. When we left Paris, we went to the countryside, sunflower fields, dirt roads, like it was out in the country. And I rode down to the little like store that sold like bread and, and fresh fruit and, and whatnot, because my stomach was such a mess from drinking so much wine with every single meal. Like my stomach was killing me and I needed Give me saltines. Give me friggin' Rolaids. I need something. Seven up, anybody. And I drive down, I ride down there on bicycles with a friend. And right next to the baguettes, the fresh baguettes, are Nirvana CDs lined up. The only musical artist they had in this tiny little, like, Bodega in France was never mind. And at that point, I was like, oh man, this went 
way beyond what I thought it did. Wow. That, that Geffen distribution was out of sight. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the the bootlegs. Yeah, Courtney's right, coming. Right. <laughs> Courtney going over to Paris to get her. her <laughs> I knew it was big. I just didn't know it was next to the baguettes big. Like <laughs> there were no other musical artists, no other CDs in this little store, this little countryside store. Amazing, crazy man. When you hear that music now, what what comes to mind for you? Do you, do you get a feeling? You get certain memories. I get feelings actually from covers of it. Mm. It's the covers of it. I think um, not Robert Glass would get a cover of it. I mean, not just to hear covers of it, but to hear like jazz covers of it. You know, reggae covers of it. feelings about uh, having been there and having been involved but also uh, the the larger impact that music has on people's lives to the point that other artists want to try their hand at, at uh, paying homage to it remember not long ago being on the air at KEXP and deciding, okay, I'm going to go grab the vinyl. I'm going to throw it on the air right now and just see if it has the same feeling. And I put it in my headphones, cranked the headphones all the way up, dropped the needle on the record, and was just mesmerized at how relevant and powerful it still was. Um, at least for me and, uh, yeah, just, it had the same punch, man. So it takes me right back to a really amazing time and a very sad time, uh, as well with, you know, Kurt taking his own life in 94. But I mean, those memories are memories that you just can't forget. And the music lights it up for me in a big way. I think there's people all over the world who that music brings back a lot for. And you both of you were instrumental to the world experiencing it. So thank you. And thank you for uh, talking with me about it today. You are so welcome. <laughs> Thanks, you Larry. Good to see you both. Good to see Good both to see of y'all. Chris. I miss you. I miss you at the break of dawn. <laughs> <laughs> That was three of my favorite men at KEXP. Gosh, I love them. That was Larry Mizell Jr. talking to Riz Rollins and Marco Collins about unarguably the most iconic Seattle band of all time. If you appreciate these conversations and want to hear more like them, donate to KEXP's fall fundraising drive right now at kxp.org sound. Again, when you give there, it specifically shows us that you love Sound and Vision and it makes us so happy. For KXP's Sound and Vision, I'm Rachel Stevens.